another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. It's Wobby, Mike Wobshaw, joining you. Today, we focus on the Minnesota Vikings safety room as we continue to go position by position through the Vikings roster early in the offseason, trying to set the table for 2023. We've really gone through a lot of the positions so far, quarterback, running back, receiver, O-line, D-line, tight ends, linebackers. We're working our way now to the secondary uh, talking safeties today. We'll get to the specialists as well. Lots of other stuff to talk about on the show. Uh, in addition to the position by position preview, focusing on the safeties, we're going to talk a little bit of draft. And then I have a couple of things that are kind of on my mind that I want to talk through before we get into the meat of the show. But before we do any and all of that, let's welcome back the usual suspects. It's Giles and Chase. Hey, fellas, how we doing? Hey, hey, we're doing so well. I mean, we're 23, away, 23 days away from the draft and I am, I'm excited beyond belief because yeah. I think there's a lot of different options that we can go tackle here in the next 20 days. And uh, I'm even more excited to talk through the safety position today because when you track through Brian Flores defense, safety is one of the most important positions. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's um, the impetus behind the title of this episode of the Wobcast, the Vikings' biggest secret weapon in 2023, we think is uh, subject matter for today's show as we talk about safety. So excited to get into that. Uh, both Giles and I and Chase uh, will have some opinions related to the safety position, to Harrison Smith, to Brian Flores. So a very meaty topic as we continue to take a look at the Vikings' defense. How you doing, Chase? I'm wonderful. I feel like we're kind of approaching that really fun home stretch of the, well, not home stretch, but that fun stretch of the off season with the draft coming up and, yep. you know, some of these signings starting to heat up. So it's, it's a really fun time to be a Vikings fan right now. I agree with that. So I want to get a couple of things off my mind and bounce, bounce some of the thoughts and opinions off of you guys as well, before we do get into the meat of the show. And actually the first one is related to the draft thought it was a curious headline and you, you may, you guys may have seen it as well that Jalen Carter is only going to visit teams picking in the top 10. I, I thought this was a weird headline and it comes from his agent, Drew Rosenhaus. Remember the backstory on Jalen Carter being involved in the tragic car accident uh, with a couple of other young folks at the university of Georgia. Um, and that all sort of went down right after the national championship game. And then there were some headlines related to it during the combine when Carter was there. So you have that as sort of the, the tragic backdrop, but he's a really well-regarded prospect. And mm -hmm. really he's, he's a top 10 pick in this draft, but I think we're dealing, this headline was just one of those that immediately struck me as curious Giles. It's like, you don't like, and it's Drew Rosenhaus. So I know he's kind of a lightning rod figure in, in the NFL community, but he's a sophisticated guy who knows what he's doing. And so yep. almost nothing is done at a whim when you're at Drew Rosenhaus's level and you're talking about one of the better players in the draft. So I think we're dealing with some sort of some sophistication here behind this headline and behind him saying that. I'm wondering if Drew is running into a situation where a number of teams in the top 10 are uncomfortable with him because of the incident that happened right after the national championship game. Mm -hmm. 
And they're saying, you know what? We got this guy as one of our top 10 players, but we're just a little uncomfortable. And I'm wondering if Drew Rosenhaus is so fed up with hearing that, that he's trying to drum up trade interest and drum up that interest pre-draft so yep. that, that, yeah, to, to ease, like to assure his client that he'll be going top 10. That's the only thing I can think of because why would you limit who you're going to have your client go and see because a team might be interested in him that's not in the top 10, but you let them visit with your client. They might be really interested and want to make that trade. So I, yep. that just struck me as very curious when I saw that. I could not agree more. I mean, it seems like he's been potentially approached by some teams, let's say like the Steelers or some team that may be in the market to try to go grab a defensive lineman. And that's his way of trying to drive up his valuation to say, hey, I'm only going to talk to top 10 people, which means you need to trade up for me. Like, yeah. I'm not willing to chat. You go do that. All right, we'll dance. We'll go to the prom. Uh, but you need to trade up and you need to show your your cards first, so to speak, yep. which feels a little bit like a gamble. Um, I mean, I get about trying to to drive up your valuation, but feels like a high gamble. Um, maybe exposes a little bit of uh, immaturity, in my opinion, which yeah. may backfire on him. But I guess we'll see. Time will tell. Yep, time will tell. And uh, the theory that we just sort of discussed might be 100% wrong. And there might be a different motivation behind it. So, um, I, I am, and we are suggesting a reason behind that headline. It's merely that a suggestion, uh, the reality might be something completely different or related. Um, I'm not sure, but mm -hmm. just one of those headlines that I'm like, that's an unusual headline. And usually where there's smoke, there's fire. That's definitely a smoky headline. Uh, all right. Second thing. And this is, um, partially emerging or on my mind from the owners meetings, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but it also stems from something that happened in the NFC championship game uh, with the 49ers and the Eagles. It's related to that as well. And it has to do with roster sizes and the emergency quarterback rule. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and if you remember, the Niners basically ran out of quarterbacks in that game. Right. And they ha were having Christian McCaffrey take snaps. And um, I just think the time has come because of some other changes that have happened to roster sizes, the times come, I think, to permanently solve the emergency quarterback situation, but also the game day roster size thing, which has always been a little different. And there's a good reason as to why it happens, but mm -hmm. I think it's time for it to change. So we have two things to sort of hit on here. The, the, the emergency quarterback rule, which is simpler and the more complex one of the roster size. So in the old days, it's 53 man roster that gets reduced to 46 players on game day, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you have to declare seven players as inactive on game day. And the mm -hmm. reason for that was to balance or level the playing field for a team that might have a lot of injuries. Mm -hmm. So you're not going into a game with 47 players and your opponent's going into it 53. Everyone's going to go in with 46. Yep. But what happened during COVID, if you remember, was because of the protocol being as stringent as it was, they increased roster sizes and they mm -hmm. increased practice squad sizes. Mm -hmm. And so I think now you, you can have a 53 man roster and have all of them be active on game day, which would allow teams to have a third quarterback active without worrying about wasting a spot. And the reason you can do that now and you couldn't before is because practice squads now are 16 players and 
you can have vested veterans on your practice squad. Exactly. So, I think, which is a huge adjustment. Yeah, it and it is. And so I, I think um, we're to the point now where we can almost do away with the inactives on game days and everyone on your team can play because if you got four or five injuries and the other team only has zero, zero or one or two, you're not at such a disadvantage anymore because your practice squad is bigger. It has veteran players on it and you can pull one of those guys mm-hmm. uh, the week of a game, the day before a game and feel a lot better than you would have felt in the old days. So want your reactions to that. And the second thing is the, the old emergency quarterback rule was you can have a third quarterback active and he can play if the first two quarterbacks are ruled out, then that yep. third one can play. Mm-hmm. But that third one cannot play until those first two are ruled out slash if you put that third one in, those other two can't play again. So I, I, I just like to get to a situation where we're not in a playoff game and we've run out of quarterbacks because of some roster limit that is an antiquated rule. You know what I mean? Yep. Especially in the 49ers game, I think there's a pretty high chance that Garoppolo could have stepped in and actually played. Maybe he wasn't a full 100%, uh, obviously not enough to be dressed on game day based on the number of people available to be put on the field. But when you break it down, the NFL is a business. Although, I mean, it's, it's a game and they're, they're wanting to, to produce a, a great game. It is a business. And yeah. at the end of the day, when you have a, a game being played without a quarterback, your viewership is going to go askew where yep. the 49ers didn't have any chance at winning that game after their quarterbacks went down. And if you actually want to pre- present a, a real competition and cater to both of those fan bases and give you an equal, an equal fair shot at going after a Super Bowl, I think it's important for them to adjust the rules. So then, like you mentioned before, we never enter a playoff game where a technicality is preventing them from going ahead to go get a ring. Exactly. And you said it, it's a business. And I know that increasing roster sizes and making more guys eligible on game day, it's going to cost because now you have to pay game day salary slash wages for more players. But we're talking about a league that's got a team in the commanders that's going to sell for between six and $7 billion. The commissioner last year, I believe made $63 million dollars. I think we can afford to increase game day roster sizes, you know, by five or six players. I, I, I really think we can. We just added another game last year. So we got a whole nother gate games, you know, a weekly yep. gate. Uh, so I truly I think, think the cap is going to go up to 300 million within the very short term. Yeah. So I, I think the league's in a position where it's going to benefit from increasing roster sizes. I don't think you're jeopardizing competitive integrity. And in fact, I think by doing so, you're increasing uh, player health and safety too. So mm-hmm. um, it's something that I hope I hope they increase game day uh, roster sizes. Last one, mm-hmm. um, full time officials. How, how about how about making the, these officials full time? I, I think yep. it's I think it's going to improve the product. I mm-hmm. think it's going to enhance player safety because you're going to have a better enforcement, a more accurate enforcement of the rules and the, the rules of the game promote, not just integrity and competitiveness, but also promote safety. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the money is there, I think to do this. And I think it's just gonna, um, reduce it's going to add accountability and it's going to really, it's going to reduce errors, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those situations, I think guys, where, once the league does it, and I think we are going there, it's just a matter of time. Once the league does it, and then a certain amount of time goes by, we will look back and say, 
they weren't doing that. They weren't doing <laughs> this. Like what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. I completely agree. I think it'll be like smoking indoors. Like that actually happened yes. before. <laughs> yeah. 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 A hundred percent. I think yeah. uh, you're going to be able to increase your level of play a hundred percent and actually have a consistent game and ultimately keep uh, the perceived level of fairness where it needs to be when it comes to the fan bases. Because when you talk to NFL fans that go deep in the, in the playoffs for their team's perspective. Um, usually the number one thing that gets brought up is, Oh, well, we got screwed on this piece. And, you know, they talk about the, the officiating versus the game itself. And I yep. think it's important to bring things back to the root and actually bring conversations and the, the overall focus of the NFL to the actual play itself and the productivity on the field. Yep. And, you know, I think when you do this, you know, really regular season games are September to and then in the playoffs to January and that first weekend in February, mm -hmm. but you got preseason, right? So yep. really it's August games are halfway through August through the early part of February, but I, you'd, you'd have them there at training camp, training camp start at the end of July. So now you're talking about the end of July through the beginning of February, which is really half a year. Mm -hmm. But I think you would put these guys in, you know, tr a training and a rules education program throughout the off season. Mm -hmm. And I think there'd be a physical training component to it as well, where mm -hmm. you'd essentially be paying them to be physically fit, to go through a, a regimen that maybe just like players would go through, mm -hmm. not that same intensity and the same amount of weight and all that, but, but a similar structure. So I really think you can justify the time. Uh, the full time, the actual time on tasks that would be spent year round, maybe give them a month vacation or, um, you know, make it a three week month during the off season and give them one week off every month. So I think mm -hmm. you can make it make sense. I think you can make the money make sense. The time makes sense. And I think it results in a better product. So yep. um, one thing I'd really like to see the league uh, move to, um, you know, and, and they talk about a lot of big grand ideas, guys, they talk about having a team internationally, um, you know, housed in London or Germany. They talk about having a division over there. They talk about permanent flexes of Thursday night games, all these big grand ideas, which are fine. But how about some of these more practical ones, like increasing roster sizes and having full-time officials? These are maybe not as sexy and maybe you see the cost of them, but they will improve the product. And the one thing that's always been great about the NFL is it's been king of the American sports landscape for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And they've never just rested on their laurels. It's always, they're always experimenting and trying things. And sometimes it fails, but mm -hmm. sometimes it works. And these are two things that I think um, it's time to implement that. So hopeful that uh, they do that. Uh, there'll be another owner's meeting uh, coming up in May. I don't expect that either of those two things I just mentioned um, will be be ratified and passed, but I hope there's more discussion about it. So mm -hmm. just a few things on my mind uh, before we get to the meat and potatoes of this episode of the Lobcast, which is the Vikings best secret weapon in 2023. We're ready to talk safeties and your Minnesota Vikings. I will, um, let me set the table a little bit here, Giles, and then let you sort of take it from there. I think the way we look at the safety position, I think you start with Harrison Smith, who coming into the offseason, I think it was questionable whether he would be back or not. Fair mm -hmm. to say? Yep. Now I think it's fair to say we, you know, he's going to be here. Mm -hmm. um, so really the question is, who's next to him when the season starts? 
And of those who are not lining up as the starter next to them, how is that playing time going to be divvied out? How exactly is Brian Flores going to deploy the safety position within his scheme? And then how does Harrison Smith execute that? And then how does the second starter execute that? Mm -hmm. So before we get into maybe some of your big picture ideas, Giles, and maybe some of the, the PFF data, let's go through Lewis Seen, Cam Bynum, and Josh Metellus. Those are the top three candidates to start next to Harrison Smith, right? Agreed. Because I don't think Miles Dorn has is, is got a shot in that category, Not yet. unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Lewis Seen, recovering from injury, the mm -hmm. highest ceiling of the group, mm -hmm. uh, position versatility. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Yep. Also, tremendous speed. Probably the fastest okay. person on the team. Okay. So if speed is a theory or if speed is a, a, a predominant trait that you would want in a Brian Flores defense advantage scene. Correct. Okay. Cam Bynum. Um, some experience playing last year. Mm -hmm. I would say regardless of where you are on the spectrum of Cam Bynum, Mm -hmm. You still would have to agree that he's at an ascending stage in his career arc. Agreed. What rate he's ascending at is up for debate, but he is ascending. Yep. Um, however, I think he is ripe for the picking to be picked mm -hmm. off and to be surpassed by someone else. Agreed. All fair. Okay. Yeah. When you look at Cam Bynum, he is probably the best run defender on the team. He's the best tackler on the team, at least from the safety position. But yep. unfortunately, from a pass rush standpoint and a coverage standpoint, he's the worst safety on the team. So he has some pretty big strengths, but some pretty poor uh, weaknesses. Okay. And then lastly, Josh Metellus. Data may suggest, in fact, we've already discussed in previous episodes, the data does suggest uh, the defense would have performed better had Metellus mm -hmm. played more and others played less. Yeah. And then the last sort of part of the evaluation of Metellus before I turn it over to you, Giles, is Metellus has one of my favorite sort of pedigrees or profiles for mm -hmm. a complimentary starter. Mm -hmm. He came up through special teams. Mm -hmm. Andrew Sandejo, um, um, Hussein Abdullah, um, guys who sort of Jamarcus Sanford back in the day. Mm -hmm. cut their teeth on special teams, ascended to a starting role. I love mm -hmm. that pedigree as a complimentary starter at corner or safety. So that's yep. what I really like about Josh Metellus. So that's sort of how I see it from a high level. Um, the safety room, curious to know some of your thoughts on that or anything else. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you're absolutely correct in the fact that Harrison Smith will be a day one starter. I don't think anyone's uh, yep. uh, debating that. Uh, although he had a down year in 2022, he had a 68.4 grade. Um, he was elite in tackling. Uh, he was he was very above average in coverage, but he struggled in pass rush, which brought down his his uh, mm -hmm. grade and was a little bit suspect in run defense. He ended the year at a 64 grade. Um, yep. Not horrible, but not not great. Um, and I truly think the, the schematics that Brian Flores brings to the table will bring Harrison's, Harrison Smith back to true elite all pro format uh, and, and posture, so to speak, because really when I look at the, the numbers that uh, kind of contribute to each of these grades, he didn't really drop off. He just didn't pass rush very much. He had 14 pass rush snaps in 2022. And we had a whole number of other issues when it came to pass rushing. 
especially when you look at the coverage in comparison to pass rush. So I really don't see him as a, a deteriorating player considering his age uh, or his cap hit. I think he can really get back to an all pro level uh, or at least a pro bowl level at bare minimum. Um, so I'm really excited to see his contributions back on the field under Brian Flores. So like you mentioned, who's going to be the opposite of Harrison Smith. And yep. I think this is where you really have to start playing chess when it comes to what do you do in 2023 and how does that relate into 2024? Because I believe Harrison Smith is under contract for one more year based on how they redid their contract. Um, so I think who you put opposite will be not only the starter 2022 or 2023, but also in 2024, you need to decide, all right, who's going to replace Harrison Smith come uh, Harrison Smith's departure in 2024. And when you look at it, Josh Metellus, um, he ended the year at an 85.1 grade. Now, some people might say, well, he didn't play very much. Well, when you look at PFF specifically, um, they have a filter when it comes to all their different players and they have a filter for minimum snaps and the standard filter is 20% of snaps. Did you play under or over 20% of snaps? It okay. just so happens that Josh Metellus played literally one snap less than 20% of snaps. For oh my God. Safeties. No and way. If we're willing to give him one extra snap, just for the sake of conversation, um, to say he played 20% of snaps, yep. um, guess where he ranked among all qualified safeties. Yeah, I'm going to guess NFL. pretty high here. I'm going to guess pretty high. I'm going to guess 19th. Higher. Wow. 12th. Higher. 7th. Higher. 2nd. He was literally the third best safety wow. in the league. Now, obviously, he didn't play all snaps like Cameron Bynum did, but he at least played... 20% of snaps minus one. Um, yeah. When it came to coverage, he was the 10th best safety. Um, this guy is doing some really incredible things. Once again, yep. he ended the year at an 85.1 grade uh, across the board. Um, he was elite in tackling, elite in pass rush, elite in coverage. The only area that he was a less than essentially an 80 was in run defense, and he was still a 72.5. Like this guy was doing phenomenal things. Plus, I don't think it should go unnoticed. He was elected as a team captain, which means he's also great behind the scenes. He's great yeah, on, the, on the field and off the field. So yep. I'm really excited about Josh Metellus. So um, we'll get back to that in a second, but I think it's important to call out Josh Metellus's performance. Mm -hmm. Now, when you kind of filter that over to Cam Bynum, he was the other category where he ended the year at a 50 point or 58.7 grade, um, did pretty good in run defense, pretty good in tackling. Tackling, he, I would say he was more in the elite category but he was entering dumpster fire category from a pass rush standpoint and a coverage standpoint. Now that's obviously the downside. Wasn't good in coverage, which unfortunately is a big piece of being the safety. Um, wasn't good in pass rush, which is another important piece of being a safety. Um, he was durable. He did play every single snap for the Minnesota Vikings in 2022. Literally every, every wow. snap he was on the field. So he's a very durable player, which I don't think should go unnoticed. No, but if not I'm, at all. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And if I think I'm, I'm really being objective here, that is a great backup to have in a safety where you have someone that is, is very durable. He's always going to be available. Just not necessarily someone that I would love to start. If you do have Josh Metellus on the roster. So if I'm having to pick someone that's on the opposite of Harrison Smith, I am moving forward with Josh Metellus. I do believe he's earned that both on and off the field. Um, he's got enough of a track record. The guys love him. Put Josh Metellus on the field and let's go attack the safety position. And honestly, if you're being a little bit speculative and maybe a little bit homerish, I don't think it's unreasonable to say you could have a top 10 safety room if both of these guys true, truly reach their elite form. Um, but that obviously tackles 2023 if you if you enter the season with Josh Metellus and Harrison Smith. But then that that kind of... 
uh, brings up the conversation about 2024. If Harrison Smith is not on the field, then do you bring in Lewis Seen? And that's where Lewis Seen is a little bit of a question mark to me because going into the season, I was very high on Lewis Seen. If you kind of look at tape from his days at, uh, at Georgia, he was an elite safety. He was playing yeah. things at a really great format. However, he wasn't playing in a 3-4 defense. So it's a little bit of an adjustment. Mm -hmm. um, but he was so fast. I believe he actually had the fastest 10 split time out of any safety in history. Um, like this guy is, is lightning speed fast, which is something that is really valuable to have in a safety. Um, so I'm wondering if they'll let him sit or maybe even let him filter in a little bit throughout the year. But I think your starting safeties will be Josh Metellus and Harrison Smith. Lewis uh, might filter in a little bit. And then Lewis taking over uh, for the starting position for Harrison Smith in 2024. Yep. I like how you laid that out. Now, what I see materializing here at the safety position, Giles, um, mm -hmm. I, I see a general advantage as I'm going to make a point here that is applicable to Brian Flores joining the Vikings, but is specifically mm -hmm. applicable to the safety position. Mm -hmm. So generally it's an advantage the Vikings have this year is that Brian Flores is new to the Vikings. And so he's going to come in with fresh ideas. Mm -hmm. Some will work, some will not work. Some the opponent will be able to anticipate because Brian Flores has a track record. Some the opponent will not be able to anticipate because it's his first time working with Harrison Smith and it's his first time working with Byron Murphy or who, you know, whoever. So, yeah, but specific to the safety position, would you rather have, you know, a stud like Harrison Smith and a stud like uh, Derwin James paired up at safety? Yeah, of course that would be the best, mm -hmm. but you don't have that. Most teams don't have that. So no. if instead of that, what you have is, Maybe not a no doubt about it, a hundred snaps out of a game or out of the season guy, but you have a safety by committee thing here going on. That's, that's good. But what makes that great is if members of the committee each do something different really well so that it, because it's like, it's like um, when Lamar Jackson, isn't the quarterback, and Tyler Huntley is, it's like the offense isn't changing. They're doing the same stuff. It's just, they're not going to do it as well. Yeah. Right. Yep. But like if Lamar Jackson's your quarterback and then, you know, uh, Matt Ryan's your backup, like you're the whole thing's different. I mean, so like you mm -hmm. have to prepare for that team much differently than you have to prepare for the team. That's just got the same guy as the backup. He's just not as good. So mm -hmm. if, Brian Flores can get a really good inventory of what scene can do really well, what Smith can do really well, what Metellus can do, what Bynum can do. And he's mixing and matching based on personnel down and distance injuries, all of that. It can really be a handful for the other offense to have to figure out what do they do? Well, based you have to know who's on the field to decide what the defense is going to do and anticipating what the defense will do is a big part of play calling as an mm -hmm. offense. Yep. Granted, would you rather have two bona fide starters and never have to worry about it? Yes, you would rather have that, but you don't have that. Mm -hmm. So what I think they have here is like, it's not like, well, is it Cam Bynum or Josh Metellus? Well, they, they're kind of the same player. It's just one's a little bit better. They're, they're different players. Mm -hmm. they're, they're different players. And, yep. and even more so seen is a different player than Bynum and Metellus. So mm -hmm. 
I kind of like the whole situation here because I think Flores can work with it. And I think he's mm-hmm. up for that challenge of taking inventory of what everyone does and does well and doesn't do well. Mm-hmm. And then applying that when certain, certain combinations are out on the field. Yep. Lastly is we talked about this a little bit with the linebackers where it's like, you're going to have one look in base and then you may have a sub package where, I mean, that's exactly what's going to go on here. And mm-hmm. you may even have three of these guys on the field at once, right? You might have Harrison Smith, Bynum or Metellus and mm-hmm. seen on the field, depending on yep. the down and distance. So I see a lot of, um, it's nebulous here. I just see a lot of just, it's, um, it's undefined. It's mm-hmm. abstract. It's hard to predict. That's what I see mm-hmm. happening here in the safety room. hundred percent. And I think this is maybe another step towards positionless football in the idea that Lewis seen is kind of a safety linebacker hybrid when you look yeah, at his size. I and I really think they might use him in that category because Jordan Hicks is good in some categories, not so great in others. And I think when you think about sub packages, there's a chance that it could be Brian Osamo and Lewis seen when it comes to technically the linebacker position. Uh, so you can have three safeties and a linebacker in the middle run linebacker and safety room. Yep. Um, I'm really excited to see that type of dynamic going on. Yep. I agree with you. And this is much different than what we're used to guys um for the vikings and the safety position you know i cut my teeth with the team it was brad childers and then into leslie frazier and Mm -hmm. in those defenses i'll oversimplify it to make the point i think this is generally correct though in those defenses it it was cover two and the safeties really they wanted them to be interchangeable that's really Mm -hmm. what it was and that's not what's happening here right now and really for the vikings that changed when harrison smith came on board And then Mike Zimmer came on board and Mike Zimmer got very dynamic with how he used Harrison Smith and very specific with how he used the complimentary safety, Anthony Harris, Anderson Dejo, whoever it was, they were not interchangeable. They really were not. Might there be a curveball once or twice a game where you'd have Sandejo do something Smith would normally do just to keep the offense on its heels. Yeah, maybe, but they were not interchangeable players. And the safeties under Brian Flores also will not be interchangeable. I don't think we might hear him say that, Oh, we want them to be interchangeable and everyone can do everything, but that, that's not, if you could go into the laboratory with Mike Flores, that that's really not what he's dialing up. Right. I mean, he wants a dynamic room. Yeah. So, and I think we're going to have that here. Um, and it's a different look than maybe what we're accustomed to, but that's okay. Yep. Um, and, and I don't see, we're going to get, get into the draft and talk draft here in a minute. I, I really don't see safety being addressed in, in one of the Vikings first few picks, you know, top hundred, top one fifty. I would be shocked if it was a safety. So I think Agreed. we got what we got here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the answer is already on the roster. It's just a matter of, you know, how it's going to get formulated. Arguably the most set position on the team, to be honest, when you think about yeah. all the different areas. So yeah, I agree. I honestly don't see them taking a safety at all in the entire draft. Um, yeah. When you look at the age of our current room outside of Harrison Smith, we're, relatively young. Uh, and I think we have the good building blocks to go be achieve success and have a, a, a good safety room. Yeah. I think before we sort of put a bow on this, um, let's talk about Flores a little bit more and maybe guys, cause you're, you're very bullish on Flores in terms of a, I haven't heard you talk much about him as a play caller, but more as a developer and a teacher, you're very yep. bullish on him there which is a good match for the Viking safety room because it's very young Mm -hmm. um, with the exception of Harrison Smith. So 
you know, how do we think Flores is going to use the safety position? Um, we saw Mike Zimmer be very aggressive with how he used it uh, with mm-hmm. Harrison Smith. Yep. Um, Brad Childers and Leslie Frazier were not very aggressive with how they use safeties, um, no. generally speaking. So um, I don't, I can't, you know, I've, I've watched so many New England Patriots games uh, throughout the years, but I can't mm-hmm. say with any, any confidence that I know I could characterize how Belichick uses his safeties. I don't know, but however yeah. Belichick does it is probably how Flores does it, at least the derivative of that. Um, yep. So I don't know what, what are your, what's your general idea of, of how Flores will use safeties? What does he want from the safeties? Yeah, I think that's a, an important thing to call out because I was actually just going to mention that after our last conversation, when you think about all the different people we're putting into the room and looking at their strengths and weaknesses, One, we do have one of the best teachers in the NFL, but I think you're absolutely correct. It does rely on play calling to understand, understanding their, their proficiencies and how to actually apply that on the field in a way that's not predictable where up Lewis scenes on the, on the field. So they're clearly getting ready for the pass. Let's run. Right. So being intentionally complex or at least perceivably complex when it comes to play calling, which is something I definitely trust him to do because, um, all the players, although they have strengths and weaknesses, aside from Jordan Hicks, are very fast. So I think we're going to leverage the, the speed to be able to achieve success here. And I think aside from the speed of the, the safety position, I think it also kind of relies on what we do with the cornerback room because I think we need, do need to be able to rely on the cornerback room not to give up coverage at least in a certain amount of seconds. And yeah. we're talking about two and a half to three seconds. Um, outside of that, he both in uh, New England and with the Dolphins was one of the highest blitzers of safeties in the, in the league. When he's with the Dolphins, I believe they had the highest blitz rate for safeties among every other, every other NFL team uh, by a pretty wide margin. So I expect them to blitz quite a lot. I think it also kind of depends on what they do with the edge rusher position. Uh, if we keep Zedarius Smith on the, the roster, because yep. when you make one change, obviously that can affect another. So that might directly impact the number of times we blitz, but I think it's, it's more leading back to the illusion of complexity to say we're willing to blitz every play. You better be prepared for it. And obviously when you do one thing that opens up another. So I do expect them to blitz a lot. And if they do back off, it's because they can achieve success somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. Um, You know, I'll I'll be, I'll be listening to his media availability, you know, during the spring and training Mm -hmm. camp to see if I can read between the lines and pick up on any subtleties, but Mm -hmm. we're really not going to see it till games. Um, But it, it's an exciting component of the Viking season is the addition of Flores, the changes that that will bring um, and the personnel usage that that will bring with, with his mm-hmm. addition. So um, excited to see that. And as we transition here to segment two of this episode of the Wobcast 2.0 and talk about draft and trying to mock who the Vikings are going to take, I have seen, a couple of edge rushers get mocked to the Vikings. Um, I've seen corners get mocked to the Vikings, and I'm sure Brian Flores would be very happy with that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think generally speaking, the Vikings are a very difficult team to mock draft for, I think, this year. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Vikings website, vikings.com, uh, has a cool weekly content piece where they track mock drafts. I don't know if you're familiar or not with this. I am actually. Okay. Um, I, I looked at that today in prep for uh, recording um, the Wobcast. And 
before we get into talking about how difficult it is to predict who the Vikings will draft, I, I want to say it's, um, it's a pretty cool content piece that the Vikings do because it's, they don't just do it once. They, they do it every week and it changes. Mm-hmm. In my day there, uh, we called it mock madness. That's what we called it when I was there. I don't think that's what they call it anymore. At least if they do, I miss that. But, you know, and we developed that content piece because there was a lot of paranoia uh, about members of the, you know, employees of the team predicting who the team was going to take. Like we just, as an organization, we weren't comfortable with sending me out there and predicting who the Vikings were going to take. So mm-hmm. our, our get around for that was, all right, well, we won't predict it, but we'll share with you in one place who everyone else is predicting. Mm-hmm. you know, and track that and then analyze that. Um, and that's how we came up with it. We, and then we called it mock madness because we didn't, we started doing this right in the middle of March when the NCAA basketball tournament was going on and March madness. And we called it mock madness. So i um, pleased to see that they're still doing something similar to that on Vikings.com. Uh, well, after my time there, um, they're, they're holding on to that content piece. And I remember it being very, very successful. Um, and uh, we would always try and find like twists, like different things to do. So one year at the combine, we had, you know, Mike Mayock and Bucky Brooks and everyone say with the eighth pick in the 2011 NFL draft, the Minnesota Vikings select and then have them say it. Mm-hmm. So we would record that at the combine because everyone was there, but we would save it for draft week mm-hmm. and then, you know, and then create a video and send that video out on draft week. And the last one in the compilation was Rick Spielman. Um, and he would always, we'd spoof it. So he'd say like, he'd be just about to say the name and then we'd cut out, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a cool content piece, but I love um, that. yeah. Anyway, um, there, there's just no consensus on it right now for the Vikings at 23. I mean, there's not offense defense consensus. There's not positional consensus. There's not name consensus. There's not even consensus on if it'll be a quarterback or not. I mean, you got, yeah. you've got guys who are of equal stature in NFL circles. One saying it's time for them to take a quarterback. And the other one saying there's no chance of taking a quarterback mm-hmm. and one of them's dead wrong, you know? So it has to be. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Just very interesting to take a look at them. I don't think you can glean anything from the mock drafts for the Vikings because some are trading up, some are trading down. There's just no no way really to mock it. I, I don't know if you've got a strong opinion on it at all or if, if there's any you've paid attention to throughout the years that have been pretty dead on, but um, I think it's very hard to wrangle right now. I might be proven way off, and this is far more feeling-based than it maybe should be. I try to be a pretty logical person, but – Every day we get closer to the NFL draft, which we're 23 days out currently. I think they're going to trade up. I really do. Ah. I think uh, there's been projections that uh, the Arizona Cardinals at spot three are shopping their their pick. Wow. So the third pick. So that means, yeah. I mean, if you're being somewhat logical about this, that's either Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, or Anthony Richardson. If one of those oh. gets picked number one, like you're, I mean, if Anthony Richardson go num- goes number one, you're either getting Bryce Young or, or CJ Stroud. Uh, which I am absolutely okay with. If you have to give up two first round picks and a player, I am doing that 10 times out of 10. Um, Not because I'm that in hate with Kirk Cousins, uh, but I think if you're looking at the long-term stability, the quarterback position for the Minnesota Vikings, 
one of those three guys are at least two out of the three are absolutely worth taking uh, in the top three and, and trading up to go get it. I think Anthony Richardson is a little bit of a question mark, but based on the sheer upside and the, the competency in the quarterback room for the Minnesota Vikings, when you think about Kevin O'Connell, I think we can do something with that. Sure. Um, it's just a matter of whether they sit behind Kirk for a year or if you try to find a trade partner. Yeah. Um, I really see them trading up to number three. I don't know. It's partially feeling based, I know, but I really am getting a stronger feeling that they're going to trade up. Wow. How exciting would that be? Uh, and that would probably, I don't know, when would that happen? You think that happened when they're on the clock or you think that happens a day before? week before that's an interesting thing i've heard uh a few different uh personalities in the minnesota sports scene talk about dalvin cook and the fact that he hasn't been traded and a lot of them are speculating that um they're waiting for the day of to be able to see how the board falls and then use him as ammunition plus something else to go move up or move down but like use him as a pre-negotiated trade and there's a chance that let's say they don't like anthony richardson let's just speculate on that and they want cj stroud or bryce young if Anthony Richardson is picked number one overall, then you execute the trade saying, I want either Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Um, Cause then, you know, one of the two will be on the board at three. Uh, and yeah. then you pull the trade versus if you don't like Anthony Richardson, then maybe you, you wait on the number three position because yeah. um, you are going to have to compete with other teams to go up to number three. It's just a matter of fact. Um, so I, th- I think it kind of depends on how the board falls and what they, yeah. they truly want at the quarterback position. Wow. And again, this, this ties back to last week's episode where we, we talked about the unavoidable adverse effect it will have on the team and the offense and the coach quarterback relationship. If you take a quarterback this year in the draft in the first, mm-hmm. you know, 60 picks yep. and you can, you can preempt it by telling cousins you're going to do it by reassuring him that he's the guy you won't have to look over your shoulder. He's not starting this year. You can do all that, but it's still going to hurt your relationship with cousins. If you take it, cause he knows he's out after the yep. season at a minimum after the season, if not yep. before that, yep. you know, and you just can't help, but to have one foot out the door when that happens to you, you know, yep. Thankfully, However, he'll still have the incentive to be successful. Like, yes, and he will because he'll want an, a, a new deal with a new team next year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think you'll get a, a precipitous drop in performance from Cousins, but I think you're just going to be missing something. Mm-hmm. And what that is is something you had in spades last year. You just kind of had the, that mojo last year, right? Yeah, it just... Teams. You had the, you know, the, the Kirko chains and the, the miracle plays and the close finishes. And just, you had just all of it was just working for you. Mm -hmm. That just takes a huge hit. If you take a quarterback, however, it might be the best move for the long interest of the team, which is part of what you have to look out for It is Mm -hmm. mostly what you have to look out for really. So, yeah. So Especially if you plan on moving off of Kirk Cousins in the next four years. Let's say we, we don't see a future beyond 40 years of Kirk Cousins. Um, eventually, you're going to have to take one. And I think it's important to note that both TJ Hawkinson and Justin Jefferson are going to have huge contracts coming up. And if you want to maximize those contracts and being able to actually actually achieve something of value with their performance on the field, you need to make sure you have a competent quarterback both today and tomorrow. So I think it's important to keep that long-term in mind versus going into the quarterback position with a question mark. You could waste the talent that is Justin Jefferson. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond Kirk Cousins. I totally agree with that. I mean, 
this is a quarterback and coach league. So you got to have those two things, right. But with that being said, with where the Vikings are from a roster and a salary cap standpoint and, and the way this thing is structured and on field performance, I mean, they will start and stop as Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson's production starts and stops. I mean, that that's what this team is about, right? I, I those are your cornerstone players right now, along with cousins mm -hmm. uh, for now. It's not Dalvin Cook. You know, it's it's not Daniil Hunter or Harrison Smith or Byron Murphy Jr. As good as those players are, the Vikings start and stop with their production at those two spots, Jefferson and Hawkinson. So you almost everything you do needs to be about building that up. Mm -hmm. okay. So and and ensuring that you have long-term success both on the field and off the field. I think it's also important to make sure that they stay happy. So they don't yeah. want off the, the the team and go somewhere else. Yep. Exactly. Right. Yep. All right. Uh, safeties draft, anything else we, uh, we need to hit on here before we wrap it up. No, I'm really excited for this safety position. I, I truly think if you put Josh Metellus on the field and Harrison Smith can get back to form uh, under Brian Flores, I do expect us to have a top 10 uh, safety room. Now, I know a lot of people will call me crazy and that's way, way too overly optimistic. But when you look at their production, I don't think that is out of the realm of possibility. Both of them have the upside to be able to make that happen with the right instruction. Yep. And Harrison Smith ascended to his status in the league by way of becoming a, you know, a, being a first round pick. I think he was 29th overall. Mm -hmm. um, but not every star travels that path. Sometimes really good players, star players, you get them the way you got Josh Metellus. Mm -hmm. um, that does happen. And so even though you may not be a PFF believer and you might not have seen enough of Josh Metellus to believe in him the way we're suggesting it could unfold, that you got to be open to it. You got to be open-minded to it. And we talk about this all the time too. There are spots on your roster where you got to get by. You can't have a blue chip free agent signing at every position. You can't have a second round pick at every position. You got to get by with some guys. And mm -hmm. I think the Vikings stand a very good chance to do more than just get by with Josh Metellus. I think they have a chance to, to have a really good thing going with Josh Metellus and Harrison Smith this year. And then Lewis seen and Josh Metellus next year. So. Um, and either way it shakes out, maybe Brian Flores just really takes a liking to Cam Bynum and Metellus is kind of your primary backup. I think you're in a good position there too with Metellus, yeah, agreed. you know, yeah. so very du durable player. Yeah. So, alrighty. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. We thank you for joining. We encourage you to check out past episodes and future episodes to do that. You can subscribe to the Wobcast 2.0, the same place. You subscribe and see all of your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We're also on YouTube. Check us out there. You can find me on Twitter at Wabi. For Chase and for Giles, this is Wabi signing off for now. Back next week to talk more Vikings defense as we touch on the cornerbacks and talk even more NFL draft.